tonight, the rider on the white horse. This is powerful stuff. Let's lift our hands. Lord, thank you that we've come to the climax of this book. As a matter of fact, Lord, we've come to what the whole Bible pointed to. And so, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us tonight, strengthen our faith tonight, teach us by the Spirit of God tonight, and thank you, Lord, for helping us to grasp it and walk out edified, exhorted, and comforted in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to somebody and say, he's coming soon. Amen. All right. Now, I'd like to go back, just recap a little bit from last week so that we're, we're kind of keeping up to speed and you're not getting lost in the bunch of information and stuff that is in this book. I, uh, I did tonight, Tima, for, to every man an answer for the first time in six weeks. And um, one of the first calls we got it's where I answer Bible questions on the air, and uh, it goes all over the country. We get questions from everywhere, and it's live. The scary thing is there's no delay. You know what that means? If there's a delay, that means if they ask a question that throws you, it's delayed a few seconds so that um, you don't hear me going, uh, well, uh, er, uh, mm, mm, uh, right? There's no delay. You got to give an answer or say you don't know quickly. But we got an answer, a question about the uh, book of Revelation. We get one virtually every time. But my co host is also, he just started the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings in Hawaii. He, he pastors Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. So I said, You looking for a guest preacher? He said, you want to speak here? I said, oh, you know, I, I might pray about it. He said, when are you thinking? I said, oh, you know, I might be open any old time. <laughs> so, great guy, uh, Daryl Skinner, he's a great guy. He's a, just a teacher of the word. But we were talking about the necessity of God's people knowing the Bible like never before. Because, folks, there's so much deception out there. Can I just tell you, so many people have false concepts of Scripture, of the faith, of they don't rightly interpret the Word. Um, there's so much out there that is just out there. And I deal with it almost every week in, in some significant way. And I, I said live on the air tonight, I said, I, I, don't, I can't remember a time in my whole Christian walk where it's been more necessary for Christians to know the Bible. Really, not a few pet verses, but the Bible. And that's why we teach books on Wednesday night. Because Paul taught the Jerusalem elders and the people the whole counsel of God. Not just a few pet verses they harp on every single time ad nauseum. Right? We need the whole thing. Anyway. In chapters 17 and 18 of the book of Revelations, John has foreseen two Babylons, all right? You remember them, a spiritual Babylon, and that is the harlot church, the false religious system, 
that I believe is forming right now. Evidence is everywhere. Just go on social media and see what some churches are teaching, what they're doing. Whole denominations are splitting, dividing, parting ways. New denominations are being formed out of necessity. Methodist Church is the latest. United Methodist Church has split over the LGBTQ issue. The official United Methodist Church is willing to ordain people living that lifestyle and place their approval on it and not address it from Scripture. So they have, had a, they have hemorrhaged people, tens of thousands of people nationwide, because they threw Scripture out. And now you've got a new arm of the Methodist Church forming um, that is conservative, that is biblical, sticking with the word. But the Episcopalians went this way. I could go through a list of denominations that have lost their biblical anchor. Now, I'm not meaning to freak you out. I'm not meaning to worry you. You shouldn't be worried. You ought to be going, the Bible was right. Because in the last days... Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines. Doctrine just means teachings. Teachings from devils. And they depart from the faith. We there. We there. Okay? So that's the spiritual Babylon. And a literal physical Babylon, we talked about last time, that will be the headquarters of Antichrist and his evil political system. The new Babylon in Iraq is being built now, as we speak. The destruction of the literal last days city of Babylon is going to be accompanied by the financial devastation of the entire world and will spell the end of Antichrist's economy and the mark of the beast and the whole way he has set up the economy of the world which is a cashless society, uh, will fall apart. It'll, it'll last a few years and fall apart. Now, with the beginning of chapter 19, the apostle is once again taken up into heaven to hear a crowd shouting. <laughs> Let me tell you, heaven isn't going to be boring. I've had people say to me, I'm going to be floating around in a cloud playing a harp for about one week, and I'm going to be bored stiff. You don't understand what's going to be happening in heaven. I want you to notice here, John says, after this, I heard what sounded like, a, everybody say a vast crowd. What are they doing? Shouting. Say it with me. Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute, the, the uh, harlot church who corrupted the earth with her immorality, spiritually speaking. He has avenged the murder of his servants. Now this is a hallelujah chorus. <clears throat> you, you better learn how to praise now because you're going to be doing a whole lot of it when you get into heaven. You know, you need to put on your praise. I, I like what Johnny said. Once an hour, look up and praise God. Because when we go to heaven... That's all we're going to be doing for a long time. But it will never get old. It'll be bliss and glory and thrills and 
incredible, indescribable, incomprehensible beauty and majesty. Yes. So this incredible Hallelujah Chorus stands in sharp contrast to the wailing and the weeping of the world that's happening down below. Heaven is rejoicing, the world is weeping. There's four Alleluias mentioned in the passages we read. Four Alleluias or praise the Lord's, and they proclaim the triumph of heaven. They rejoice in the judgment of the false and final super church, false church, and of the whole Babylonian system, including the dreaded mark of the beast. There is rejoicing that wickedness has been destroyed. The Lord has finally taken vengeance on those that persecuted and murdered his people. Remember their souls under the altar in chapter 6? When are you going to avenge us? God said, hang on. Hang on a little while longer till the rest of those who are going to be martyred for the faith. Uh, it happens. Wait till it happens. But when the last one is martyred, there's going to come a judgment. And dear church, I've got to tell you, there's a judgment coming. We don't talk about that in our bless me club, church, world today. God just wants to prosper you and bless you and this and that for you. And it's all about you and what you're going to get from the Santa Claus in the sky. But let me tell you something. We are rapidly racing towards judgment. Now, the book of Revelation is part of the judgment. 21 judgments in increments of seven. And by the time the last one is done, there's not much left of this old world. No, it's going to be melted like in a burning oven. And it's going to be completely redone. And you look at our filthy world, morally filthy, morally filthy, filthy, porn, the, the horrible laws that are being passed. The, just, I just feel sometimes like I'm living in muck and mire. But that's all going to be burned up. And, you know, we're going to be glad it's going to be burned up. Right? The 24 elders and the four living creatures are now heard for the last time in the book of Revelation. And they're given a mighty shout of praise, verse 3 to 5. And again, their voices rang out, Praise the Lord! The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever, from Babylon, that is. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. And they cried out, say it with me, everybody. Amen! Praise the Lord! And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. And then the voice of a great multitude again. Who's this multitude? It's the church. It's the church. And what are they doing? All of the redeemed of all of the ages. That's the church. And and they sound out the final hallelujah. You're going to be in there. I want you to think about this. I want you to personalize this. Do you love Jesus tonight? Okay, then you're going to be in here. I want, I want to personalize it for you. You're going to be saying, you're going to be doing the final hallelujah because you've been redeemed. And, and 
Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. That's how loud we're going to be. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, following the fourth hallelujah comes the presentation, oh my, of the Lamb's wife. And you're in there too. The ransomed, the glorified bride of Christ in all of her spotless purity. This is the first of two suppers in this climactic chapter of 19. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride. Verse 7, For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Here we go. Now some have called this grand event the marriage of the bride. But it's really not. It's called the marriage of the Lamb. Because the bride is the Lamb. Jesus Christ, chief joy. You know what his chief joy is? Now, you may not feel like it, but it's you. Because you're his bride. And one day you're going to put on wedding garments. Okay? And we're going to have the supper of our life. It will put Del Frisco to shame. Okay? When all of the redeemed are around him in heaven, then he will fully enjoy the fulfillment of why he died. John notes the bride is dressed in white. Revelation, or verse 8. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents, watch this now, the good deeds of God's holy people. The, the white linen is representative of something important. It's the, the right things we did once we were saved. The good works. Uh, somebody heard me say today, there's, there's manual labor and there's Emmanuel labor. I love Emmanuel labor. I could do Emmanuel labor all day, every day, all week, till the day Jesus comes. I love Emmanuel labor. Now, the Emmanuel labor we're involved in after we're saved, we are rewarded for. That was another call that came tonight on the radio. We're rewarded for the ways we glorified God, obeyed Him, exercised our gifts, glorified Him, reached people for Him, prayed where it made a difference. Any way that the kingdom of God is advanced through you and me, there's a reward. Your works don't save you, but they testify that you have been saved. Amen? What did James say? You show me, you say you have faith without works, and he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Yes. Right? Because if you got real saving faith, you're going to end up doing something for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Just read the book of Titus, the last chapter, I think it's three. Four times Paul tells Titus, You better be sure to tell your people to be involved in good works, sustain good works, don't give up on good works, stay with the good works. Four times in one chapter, this is one of Paul's constant admonitions. I want my people involved in good works. Not that glorify them, but that glorify him. You're the salt of the earth, light of the world. 
Let your light so shine before men, listen to this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, the good works testify that something has happened to you that is good, because it's a good work. What kind of works were you involved in before you were saved? Evil, wicked, nasty, wrong, right? Come on, everybody. Don't look at me so holy. You were doing things now that you're ashamed of. But then you go from evil works to good works. Amen? Amen? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3. I, let me quickly read it to you, starting at verse 10. Because of God's grace to me, uh, to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. He's talking about the spiritual foundation of your life. What you built your life on. Now others are building on it, teachers like me. Okay, Once you're saved, pastors like me that teach and preach the word, I'm building on the foundation that was laid in your life. The foundation was Christ. Because he goes on to say, no one can lay any foundation worth its salt other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. You you begin a brand new life with a brand new foundation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You're building your life now around him, his teachings, his example, and the teachings of the apostles, the epistles of the apostles, right? Right? Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Now, this is illustrative, right? He's giving us a metaphor. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hair, straw. But on the judgment day, not the great white throne judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, when does this happen? I think when we're raptured and go up, our works are tried. Then we go to the marriage supper. Why are our works tried? He says here, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And this is what scares me in a good way. Puts the fear of God in me. Because if I'm a pastor and I got a crowd of people and I'm not teaching you the word, I'm giving you a bunch of stuff, secular stuff, you go get them stuff, you know, motivational Uh, positive thinking kind of stuff, religious stuff. I'm not teaching you the good word of God. I'm going to answer to God for it. So anytime you're around me or under me, listening to me, you can mark it. You'll hear me start with a verse. You'll hear me pepper my message with verses all the way through, and I will end it with a verse because I don't have anything to say to you except the word. That's all I've got to say to you. I'm going to answer for it. And you're going to answer, listen to me, everybody, what you allowed somebody to build on your foundation. It's not just the speaker, it's the listener. They'll depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. What are they doing? And doctrines of devils. They're listening. And they're letting their itching ears be scratched by false teaching. So it's not just what am I telling you, but it's what are you submitting to and listening to? Like I said Sunday, who's got your ear? Who's telling you who you are? Who's building on the foundation of Christ? 
If they're not building the Word into your life, folks, and I'm talking about the whole Word, the real Word, the Christian Word, the New Testament Word, the Bible Word, you better hook them. Get out of there. Turn it off. Put it down. Because look what he says. On the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value eternally. If the work survives the fire of God's scrutiny, that builder will receive a reward. I'll get a reward, and so will you for listening to the right things and letting Christ be built into your life. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, the last thing he said, Matthew 7, 24 or so. He talks about the man built his house on the sand, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the rains fell, and beat, as a violent word in the Greek, smashed against that house, and it fell. Why? Because it was built on sand. But he that hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and the rains fell, and beat on that house in the same way the other one was beat on. They're, on, they're in the same neighborhood. They're on the same street. But one collapses and one stands. Isn't that true of people? Yeah. Haven't you known people who were right down the way from you? And winds blew, trials came, floods beat on their house, tribulation, persecution, criticism, whatever, and it collapsed right down the street, right next door to you. The same things happened to you, but you kept on standing. What's the difference? You did something right in here. You built, you got the right foundation, the rock of Christ, then you built on top of that the epistles, the teachings of the apostles and of Christ himself. Man, this didn't, I, I didn't mean to spend this much time on this, but we need to hear this. Because watch this. If the work survives, that builder is going to receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. So you're getting in, but by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So everybody say, be careful. What foundation you have. I've got about five of you going with me here. I think the rest of you are kind of freaked out from what I just said. So let's try again. It matters what foundation you lay. Jesus Christ and what you build on it. And who you allow to build into your life. So the good deeds for which these saints in Revelation have received the reward of pure white linen are works done in obedience to Christ. While good deeds do not merit our salvation, they attest to the authenticity of our salvation and they're rewarded. Now, after the bridal break, uh, bridal banquet, the triumphant saints go forth to participate in the glorious appearing and the establishment of our Lord's long-awaited kingdom. Who is among these saints? They're identified in Hebrews 12, 23. 
because it says saints return with him. Who are they? Let's read. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. Is your name in heaven? All right. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. And you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. That's you. That's me. By the blood. These are the redeemed of this age, rewarded and glorified, now ready to be exalted with Christ in heavenly splendor. Now there's guests at the marriage feast. And I'm going to tell you who I believe is going to be there. John the Baptist. Because Jesus said the friend of the bridegroom. That's what he called John. John will be there. Old Testament saints will be there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, Malachi. I'm going to be looking for Adam. So I can give him a great big thanks a lot. Elijah, Elisha. They're all going to be there. The Old Testament saints, the redeemed church, and the tribulation martyrs. The marriage feast will be a joyous celebration to honor the Lamb and the Lamb's wife before all of heaven. John is overcome. How many of you would be overcome at this point? He's overcome. The angel speaks to him again and says, verse 9, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm a servant of God. Just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. This is the angel talking. He says, worship only God. Now catch this next statement. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Social media is infested with false prophets. I'm going to tell you right now, infested. Sometimes I listen to them so you won't have to. (laughs) I just want to know what they're saying because they have 30, 40, 50,000 followers. And I listen to their their words. Now, I, I don't judge people. Matter of fact, I don't judge people. I judge what they're saying. I judge the fruit okay the authenticity is this really from god there's self-proclaimed pride and i'm not saying they're all false but there's a whole bunch of false ones and the things they go into and the things they say listen what amazes me is that they have thousands of followers who are so gullible so lacking in discernment because it's so out there It's not prophecy. They foretell things. And all you got to do is track it and check it. But nobody hangs around or checks it to see if what they said last week or last month ever happened. We just want the Holy Ghost bumps over what they're saying now. But I think it's a scary thing to say, Almighty God is speaking through me these words. If you're not sure, it's him. 
Um, now, I believe in prophecy. I believe somebody can be moved on by the Holy Ghost and foretell the future. And I believe the other meaning of prophecy, which is to proclaim God's truth. I believe in both. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I also believe that we need some sound teaching on it. Because things are passing for prophecy out there. He's telling us right here, if you just testify of Jesus, you just prophesied. Amen. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Say, I did, I've told somebody about Jesus in the last six months. Raise your hand. You prophesied. See, you're a prophet and didn't know it. But here he says, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. All I'm saying with this, folks, is please be careful what you listen to. Put on your discernment hat. Don't be led astray by somebody who just says, thus says the Lord. Check it out. Care enough to check it out. Try the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, John told us. Have you tried the spirits lately? Now let me pause here and speak to the issue of the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Because there's two views held by good people on both sides. Now now don't freak out on me. Hang tough. I'm not going to kick one of your, um, what do you call it, your sacred um, calves or cows. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to show you there's two views of the rapture and second coming. And I just want to tell you what they are. One of them is the church is going to be raptured or cut up off the earth right before the seven-year tribulation period. Now that's a very popular view. It's called the pre-tribulation rapture view. And this is easily the most popular of the two views in America. How many of you believe this view? Let me just see. How many don't believe this view? Two. Okay, three. All right, no, tr- no condemnation. Let's move on. It's easily, the, the pre-trib rapture is easily the most popular. It's been popularized for us by, by movies like Left Behind, Tim LaHaye's incredibly popular series, Left Behind, all those books, and the teaching of a whole lot of popular pastors, including moi. Okay, but there's a second view. The second view also held by many good people. This doesn't mean they're lost. doesn't mean they're not right. They sincerely hold this view, and that's okay. And scholars, good people and scholars, is the second coming and the rapture are one and the same event. Okay? And there won't be two separate appearances of Jesus. Because if you are pre-trib rapture, then you believe there's going to be a rapture, and then seven years later, there's going to be the second advent. So that's two appearances in a seven-year period. If you're the other view, if you hold the other view, then the way you see it is the trumpet will blow, Christ will appear, church will be caught up, meet him in the air, and then we come down with him to stop the war of Armageddon and set up the millennial kingdom. And it's, it's one and the same event. It's not two separate events. Okay? Everybody say, I got you. Now, the first view, the pre-tribulation view, is supported by verses that you know well. Paul said, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede by those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, whichever view you hold, this is going to happen no matter what. Right? The only issue is timing. It's only a timing issue. Objections to this view are that, first of all, what we have just read is a description of the catching up of the saints, but there's not a timing factor given to us. We're just told it's going to happen. For instance, it doesn't say, just before the great tribulation, the trumpet's going to blow. It doesn't say that. It just says, one day, trumpet's going to blow, and up you're going to go. Second um, reason some don't go with the pre-trib rapture is, those that hold to this insist that it must happen prior to the great tribulation because of verses like 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since the great tribulation is the wrath of God, then they contend, no way we're going to go through God's wrath being poured out. We're going to be taken. But again, this verse does not specify which wrath Paul is talking about the great white throne wrath when he judges the whole world for their sin or the tribulation wrath. We don't know. It doesn't say. The post-tribulation view simply holds that the catching up of the saints happens in conjunction with the return of Christ to the earth. Now, people say, well, wait a minute, what about the marriage supper of the Lamb? When, when is that going to happen? If you're right, if, if it's going to all happen at the same time, when are we going to do the marriage supper of the Lamb? But once again, John's revelation doesn't give a time for when the bride will appear in heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It just says it's going to happen. Have I got you good and confused? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Jeff, where do you stand? Right here. I, I stand on the rapture. That's, that's where I land. If I had more time, I could give you all the differences between the rapture and the second coming. A quick few. The rapture, the whole world doesn't see. It's thief in the night. Jesus comes, takes the church. No one in the world knows. Second coming... Behold, every eye will see him and those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will wail because of him. That's different. In the rapture, he comes for his church. In the second coming, he comes to set up his kingdom. In the rapture, in the, in the rapture we meet him in the sky. The second coming, he lands on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two. Zechariah chapter 14. Okay? So, and, and I could, there's 10 to 15 distinct differences. So I land on the rapture. Now, if I'm wrong, we're still saved. Right? We're still saved. And, and, and if, if you go with, well, they're, they're both, they're the same event. And, and that's where you land. 
and you're wrong, you're going up even when you're wrong. Because you're not going to heaven based on what you believe about the rapture. You're going to heaven based on what you believe about Christ. Right? And I'm just going to tell you on the way up, I'm going to be... I doubt it. But I would like to. Anyway. (laughs) Wednesday nights are fun. Too bad the radio can't see what I just did. No, it's probably a good thing. They can't see what I just did. Um, But here's where I land with this. I believe in the come at any moment appearance of Jesus Christ. Here's my philosophy. I plan like he won't return in my lifetime. Okay? Do you know how many people have never gone to college or never bettered their life because they were so convinced the Lord would return uh, when they were young? Oh, only heaven knows how many um, who didn't make major decisions, didn't develop their life, did not plan for the future because they thought he's coming, so why bother? No, I plan like he won't return in my lifetime. But I live like he could return today. That's what you do. In one of Jesus' parables illustrating his departure and his eventual return, he tells the servants that he leaves in charge, occupy until I come. Okay? So this is front burner for me. This is where I live. This is how I live. This is my viewpoint to occupy or do kingdom business till he returns is what I live for. And I want to be involved in doing exactly that when he does. I would love to be preaching and quoting a verse when he returns. (laughs) Bang! I'm seeing Jesus. Now back to 19. We're going to wrap it up. Next, John witnesses the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Here it comes. The world's never seen anything like this. Verse 11, heaven opens, and from that lofty realm of heaven comes the all-conquering Christ. Verse 11, then I saw heaven opened, oh my, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, so we know that's Christ. He judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was uh, was with God and the Word was God. John 1.1 We uh, note next that the redeemed of the Lord enter the picture. Us. The Lord Jesus' blood-bought saints return with him. Even Enoch of old prophesied of this event. Jude 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with who, everybody? Say it. Ten ten thousands of his saints. Who's that? Notice the descriptive names that John uses for Jesus in verses 11 through 13. I love this. And, uh, Up to six of them are in connection with his majestic return. Lamb, faithful, true. A mysterious name no one knows. The Word, 
king, Lord. There's no question who this is. And John describes the spectacular return of Christ in technicolor. Watch this. The armies of heaven. That's you and me. And I believe the angels dressed in the finest of pure white linen. That's us. Followed him on white horses. Woo! From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He's coming back to stop the war of Armageddon. So from his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations at war. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written the title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This amazing event is the fulfillment of both Old and New Testament prophecies concerning Messiah's sudden and majestic return. It's, everybody say it with me, it's literal, it's personal, it's visible, it's physical, and it's spiritual. And it's the same Jesus who ascended up into heaven in Acts 1.11. And, and they were watching him go up and the angels appeared and the angels said to them, what are you looking at? The same one that ascended will one day descend again in the same way. Amen. And this we just read is it. John describes it in Revelations 1, 7 and we close with this verse. I want us to read it together. Let's stand together and read it together. You ready? Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. Next time, Jesus ends the war of all wars, and we're going to see Jesus clean shop. Amen? Amen. So can we lift our hands to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Oh, Jesus. You've redeemed us. You've redeemed us, Lord. Can we say together, thank you for your redemptive blood shed for me on Calvary's tree. Help me, Lord, whatever days remain to be filled with good works, filled with the Spirit, to serve you and glorify you. And I look forward to your soon return. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.